Well, good evening, Paradigm. My name is Chad. I hope you have a copy of God's Word. If you do, once you find the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2 is where we're going to be at tonight. Uh, if you're new here tonight, just like Winston said earlier, we're so glad that you decided to join us tonight. And uh, we are in a, the, right, right at the beginning of a series that I'm really, really excited about. Uh, before we get to Ecclesiastes, if you're new to the Bible, Ecclesiastes is a small book in the Old Testament. That's the first half of your Bible. If you find the middle of your Bible, that's the book of Psalms. You may call it Palms. I'm not real sure, but you keep going towards the end and you'll hit uh, Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. And I'm excited about where we're headed tonight. This message tonight is pregnant with a lot of potential to change your life in regards to the way that you view certain things in your life. And God has been stirring some things in my heart and really recalibrating some things in the way that I operate on the day in and day out basis. And I hope that God would begin to shed some light into your life tonight as well. Well, before we get to the text, any barbecue? Barbecue lovers in the house tonight? Yes. Uh, all right, that's what I'm talking about. Now, barbecue, it's got a few ingredients that really make barbecue um, the, the best. Now, Kansas City barbecue is, is off the chain, I'm gonna be honest, but I'm true to my roots. I'm from Texas, and so in Texas, we like to throw down some mesquite wood and some pecan wood and that kind of thing to get the smoke just right. Now, when it comes to barbecue, if you don't know much about barbecue, we're gonna pray for you, all right? But when it comes, some of you are like, I'm vegan. I'm, anyway, you need to go keto, holla. Anyway, and so when it comes to barbecue, um, there's a few things that, that come together to make that just right. You got the meat, uh, you got the rub, you know, some brown sugar and some other good stuff that goes on there. Uh, you got uh, uh, the, the, the injection, whatever that may be. And then you got what I believe is the key ingredient, and that's the smoke. Now, the smoke is, is such an important part of the whole process, and that smoke, it permeates all of the meat to give you what I believe is the distinct barbecue flavor. Now, um, I don't know what sort of New Year's resolutions you had, but I had a New Year's resolution to take up smoking. Now, I'm not talking about cigarettes, cigars, or whatever else, all right? I'm talking about something like this right here, okay? And so I bought a smoker because I wanted to take up smoking. And smoking for me, smoking meat is what I'm talking about. It's something that I just wanted to dive into. I wanted to, to get good at this thing. So I bought this smoker, and here's how it works, y'all. So you basically, you open this up, you put the meat right there. Some of y'all know what this is. Some of y'all don't. And then you get, you get whatever wood of your liking. I got some pecan wood uh, because pecans are native to my state. And you get this pecan wood, and you get the smoker turned on just right, and then you have this little thing right here, and you put the wood in this thing right here, and then you, you put it in there, and then hopefully you get it in there, but you put it in there, and then it begins to heat, and listen, the wood is the substance, it's the beginning of what is the most, in my opinion, the most critical part of the whole process, but you've got to start with the substance, you've got to put it through a process, and then that process begins to yield the pleasure of smoke, and then that smoke, man, it permeates everything. So the other day I was smoking out in the garage, meat of course, I was smoking garage in the meat, I mean in the, I was smoking, you know what I'm saying, it's English. Anyway, I was smoking meat, some of y'all, you were smoking meat? Come on, buddy, <laughs> you can't talk. Anyway, so I was smoking meat in the garage, and it, man, it got smoked, I mean, it permeated everything. It, I mean, it was like, it smelled, and my wife was like, it, the whole place smells like smoke. I was like, yes, this is like man scent happening, you know, and it was awesome, and, and here's what I learned about smoke, man, it permeates everything. But again, in order for you to get the smoke, it's gotta go through a process in order for you to experience the pleasure of the smoke, it's got to first go through a process. Like you can't just catch the smoke like this and then put some meat out here and go and just shake it on. Like it doesn't work that way. 
The smoke, the more you try to catch the smoke and try to shake it and put it on some meat, the more you're going to lose it. And I share that with you tonight because, listen, pleasure is a lot like smoke. And in order for you to catch pleasure, in order for you to experience pleasure, it's got to first start with some substance that goes through a process, and then you get that pleasure. And listen, that pleasure, it permeates everything, y'all. Pleasure is like one of the greatest flavors of I would contend that pleasure is one of the greatest ingredients in life. Can I get a witness? Yeah, some of y'all coming in, I don't like pleasure. I just like, you know, no, man, pleasure is awesome. It is a gift from God. But listen, you cannot obtain pleasure in and of itself. That pleasure is a lot like smoke. In order for you to get pleasure, it's got to start with something of substance. It's got to go through a process in order for you to get the conclusion or the flavor of pleasure. And listen, when you get that pleasure, it permeates everything. But a lot of us, we've come in here tonight, me included, and there's been times in my life, and I still battle this, if I'm being honest, where I just pursue pleasure for pleasure's sake. But the philosophers call it the paradox of pleasure. And here's what the paradox of pleasure means. That the more you pursue pleasure as an end in of itself, the less you find it. So a really smart 20th century Psychologist said this, Viktor Frankl, he said that pleasure is and must remain a side effect or a byproduct, and it's destroyed and spoiled to the degree to which it's made a goal in and of itself. Let me break that down real quick. It's like, it's like the smoker, again. It, it, it's like this, that, that the more you try to go after the smoke in and of itself, and you, and you deny the substance in the process, the less the less smoke flavor you will experience. That pleasure, if you go after it in and of itself, you won't be able to get it. But, but we don't believe this, do we? Like, like we've come in here and we think, but I'm gonna be different. You know, I'm gonna do things my way. And so a lot of us, you've walked in here tonight and if you're just being honest, like you're chasing pleasure in all the wrong ways. And you're trying to find fulfillment in all of these things. And the irony of this, the irony is this, that we as a generation, we have opportunity to chase pleasure, to chase fulfillment like no other generation before us. But the irony is that we are less satisfied, more anxious, killing ourselves more, more medicated than any other generation before us. A great theologian of our day, Jim Carrey, um, he said this. Y'all know Jim Carrey, you know, he said, I love him, man. I mean, he's, he's probably the best actor of all time. And uh, so Ace Ventura, y'all remember those days. Anyway, Jim, Dumb and Dumber, thank you. All right, so Jim Carrey, here's what he had to say. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. And so Jim Carrey, he's just reinforcing what the Word of God has said for thousands of years. And so tonight, we are in this series called A Life Well Lived. And we are looking at this man named Solomon, and he has been searching all of these things so that he can determine what does it take to have a life well lived. And tonight, I've titled the message, Chasing Smoke. Chasing smoke. And for a lot of us, we've come in here tonight, and that's exactly what we're doing. And I want you to see tonight that pleasure is fleeting. I want you to see that death is a great teacher. And I want, I want to invite you tonight to seize the moments that God has given you. 
So Solomon, he's the second or the third king of Israel, and he lived several hundred years ago, and he's perhaps the wisest man to ever walk the planet Earth. He has written more about wisdom in the wisdom literature section of the greatest seller of all time, the Bible. And he's written, if you've ever read the book of Proverbs or heard of proverbial wisdom, Solomon is the boy or the man that, you know, that wrote most of those things. He wrote a love story, how a man should pursue a woman. It's all in poetry. You should check it out on your own time called the Song of Solomon. And then he wrote this book called Ecclesiastes, and it's his seminal work on what, is it, what does it take to use our life for what matters most. And here's what he would say. Remember last week, I was a little bit worried that some of y'all would just kind of throw the towel in on life, you know, last week, be like, what is life? What's it worth? You know, like the sun finally came out. You're like, I don't care, you know? And you just kind of like, just real depressed because you know, it's all redundant, it's just a routine. Who cares, you know, or whatever. And so I was worried, but you're here tonight. And so you look good, you look good, and we're ready for round two. Here we go. Solomon, just a newsflash, it doesn't get much happier tonight but he's gonna shoot us straight. And I think that we can learn some profound things. So here's what he says, Ecclesiastes chapter two, starting in verse one. It says, I said to myself, some of your translations said, I said in my heart. Now remember in, in Hebrew culture, the heart is kind of like the, the seat of knowledge. Like, like Solomon is, is saying that I, I said to my heart, I, I looked inside, I'm, I'm really contemplating, I'm, I'm searching out in the deepest parts of my soul. He said, I said to myself, come on, let us try pleasure. Now, this word try literally means let us test, okay? Let us search, let, it, let us try to experience, let us kind of put it to the test. And so he's, he's, he's written a hypothesis, and he's going he's gonna to go after the experiment. He's saying, let us try pleasure. He said, let's look for the good things in life. And he gives us the conclusion right out the gate. But I found that this, too, was meaningless, Y'all remember the word meaningless? If you weren't here last week, that is a common word used 30 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, at least once in every chapter of the 12 chapters. It means, it's the Hebrew word havel, and it literally means meaningless or, or a chasing after the wind. And what, what Solomon is saying right out the gate is that I, I chased pleasure, and listen, it was fleeting. It was like smoke. And so here's what he says. He gives us some details. He said, so I said, laughter is silly. And what Solomon is saying is like, man, I hung out with funny people. You know, don't you love funny people? You know, like they full of satire or sarcasm. That's my type of humor. And so like, let's, let us get around the witty, dry sense of humor person and let's hang, all right? If you're funny, we should hang out. He's like, man, I, I hung out with Kevin Hart. I hung out with Chris Rock. I hung out with Steve Crow. I hung out with all the types of, uh, Will Ferrell. I hung out with them all. And he said, here's what I found. What good does it to seek that pleasure? After much thought, verse three, he said, I decided to cheer myself with wine. So he's like, I'm dilly-dillying every night, right? And so I tried to go after wine, and, and he didn't go after wine in, in just one way. He went after wine in a couple of ways. He, he, he did like the swirl, smell with cheese on the side, you know, tasting, just really savoring, right? But he also did um, just kicking it back, just shotgun and wine if you do that. I don't think you do, but anyway. And so he did that, and here's what he says. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. He says this, that I was in control the entire time that this was an experiment, and so I clutched at foolishness while I was still seeking meaning. And it says this, in this way, I tried to experience the, 
the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. So Solomon's saying, like, listen, I partied. Now, what I need you to do is, first of all, if you think that this is a license for you to be like, oh, it's in the Bible, we should all go get turned tonight. Come on, praise God, right? Wine tasting tour, yes, let's go. Like, you did, no, 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 that's not what Solomon, this is a descriptive text, not a prescriptive text. It's describing the experiment that Solomon had. It is not prescribing that you should go experiment like Solomon did, all right? Don't go get drunk tonight, okay? All right, that just bottom line it, okay? But get out of your mind this sort of college party that you experienced, okay? Get, get out of your mind like, oh, spring break 2009 was off the chain, right? Some of y'all here on spring break, hello. Anyway, and so we are glad that you got your break, but listen, this little party mindset that you had, that you just, you, the frat party, you know, so whatever it was, that's not what was going on, all right? Solomon, he partied to the max. His parties were amazing, and we find out how big and how grand his parties were because we can look back at 1 Kings chapter four, and in just one night, Solomon threw down like this. It said that he had 500 pounds of flour to bake for this party, 1,000 pounds of meal to continue to get some, uh, some sides for this party, 10 fattened oxen, 20 cattle, let me just give you some perspective. My family, my, my in-laws, my wife, our three kids, her brother, his wife, their three kids, her other brother and his wife and their two kids, we slaughter one cow a year, it feeds all of us. In one night, Solomon had 20 cattle slaughtered. 100 sheep, deer, gazelles, roebucks, whatever that is, chicken, all commentators, they agree on this point that Solomon was able to feed and host 15 to 20,000 people every night. Y'all have never seen a party like this. Solomon is chasing the experience, right? And here's what he says, it's meaningless, it gets old. Like, like you can only wake up hungover with a new tattoo, not knowing where your chariot's been so many times, right? That's what Solomon's saying. And the experience, it gets old. So Solomon turns a corner, he says, okay, let, let's try this, let's try building some stuff. Verse four, he said, I also tried to find meeting by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. So Solomon, he builds one of the ancient wonders of the world, i.e. the temple, takes seven years. Then he builds his house, takes 14 years to build his house. Then he builds a house for every one of his wives. He has 700 wives, all right? He built more houses for his wives than there are in Raymore, okay? I'm just kidding, I think there's, but you know what I'm saying, like he built subdivisions for his wives, all right? And so he built, he built, and he built, but here's what he found, it's all vanity. And you can go to the Middle East today where some people from our church are and you can see that there are still the pools of Solomon that are in existence centuries later after Solomon built these things. That Solomon, he built amazing things. He partied hard. He built big time. And he's like trying to catch the smoke. And he's like, it's just vanishing. So he determines that he's going to relax a little bit. He's going to retire early, sell some of his real estate, retire early. So in verse 7, it says that I bought slaves, okay? Don't, don't think um, African slave trade here. Think more like Alfred and Batman, all right? Like he bought, he bought butlers and house servants, that sort of thing. He said both men and women. And others were born into my household. 
I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. Uh, Second Chronicles does a census of the foreigners living in the land, and these foreigners more than likely were slaves, and these foreigners um, tallied up to about 150,000 people. And so Solomon, listen, he had a season in his life where he did not want or do for anything, all right? Like, like he got to sleep in, somebody brought his plate with avocado toast on it, said, hey buddy, time to get up. He gets up, stretches, they put his silk robe on, he walks around, he sits down and they exfoliate his feet for him. Barbara comes out, gives him that fresh fade every day, then gets the oil and just oils that beard and gets it looking like hardened, right? You know what I'm saying? Gets it looking all good and like he didn't have to do anything. He says it gets old. And he goes on in verse 8, he says this, I collected great sums of silver and gold. I was day trading and dominating every day. In the treasure of many kings and provinces, he was a billionaire, but with gold, not just cash money, gold. He says this, and I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. I, I didn't have a Spotify playlist. I got Pharrell, and I bought that mug. And he came in, we were singing happy, and I was like, oh, Drake, let's sing God's plan, because that's a Christian song, right? And so came in there, and then he was like, Maroon 5, who's that? And so Maroon 5 came in, Adam Levine was singing, girl like you, and he was like, man, maybe that's what I'm missing. And so he went out, and he found some more women. 700 wives wasn't enough. So he found 300 concubines. The text goes on and says, and I had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. And so when Adam Levine was singing that song, he's like, oh, I need more women. So he got on Tinder and he started swiping left, swiping left, and then he swiped right, and then he swiped right, and then he kept swiping right. He actually gave it to his, his assistant, said, hey, bro, just swipe right on all of them and then bring them in. And listen, he did not want for any sort of size, color, race, denomin- I mean, not denomination, nation, sorry, yeah, had charismatics, had Baptist women, all kinds of women. <laughs> anyway, and so he did not want for any type of, and listen, and he was like, Every experience, every pleasure, he went after him. And here's what he's saying. It's all like smoke. It's all like trying to grab this smoke and then sprinkle it on life. It's not going to work. And so in verse 9 it says, So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. He said, I was in control, searching for fulfillment all along. Verse 10, anything I wanted, I would take. I deny myself no pleasure I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. It was smoke. It was like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, write this down. Pleasure is fleeting. Pleasure is fleeting. You imagine Solomon, he's in this great experiment and he's trying all these things and so he finally just wakes up one morning and there's women all sprawled out in his bedroom and he he gets a cup of hot coffee from his servant and then he's in his silk robe and he's out there on his front balcony smoking a cigarette, seeing wine cans sprawled out all over his property, looking at chariots crashed in his fountains and he's looking out at all that he's built and he's contemplating and he's trying to think, is this what it's all about? And he comes to this conclusion, and maybe he tells his scribe, hey, write this down. I've tried it all. And it's like chasing smoke. And some of us, we've come here tonight, and we think that we could find something that Solomon couldn't find. But listen, you're not going to find it. 
But it's hard, right, because pleasure is so confusing because, like, let's just be honest, pleasure is good. Like, it, it, I mean, when you do things that are pleasing, you want to do them again. And so it's confusing because when you experience good things and pleasure, um, you, you begin to think, okay, I need to do that thing again. But listen, you've got to consider the source of your smoke. Let me explain it this way. A couple of weeks ago, my family and I, we had the opportunity to go to Lake of the Ozarks and to this hotel called the, the Four Seasons. And uh, we were staying the night, and this was the night that I bought my smoker. And so I had already smoked a pork shoulder uh, like the day before we left to go to the Lake of the Ozarks. And so my, my family, they had smelt the goodness of the hickory wood and the pecan wood. They had smelt what a barbecue is supposed to smell like. And so we had had this pork shoulder. I brought it in and I pulled pork in my kitchen and, and it just air, you know, it just made the whole house just smell like smoke. It was awesome. And so my, my family, my kids, they knew what, what a barbecue smelled like. And so we go to Four Seasons and we, we leave the hotel Saturday morning about 9 a.m. and I'm like, man, it smells like a barbecue. And my daughter, she looks up at me, my Elizabeth, she's five, she says, Daddy, it smells like dinner, you know, right? And so she's just smelling this barbecue. And listen, we smelt this smell and we're like, man, that smells good. It, it must be good. But then we got to the outside of the hotel and we saw these fire trucks and we're like, oh, what's going on? Um, apparently somebody tried to have a barbecue in the sauna in the spa and uh, it busted out and there wasn't no barbecue, it was a fire, all right? And what we were smelling smelt like barbecue. It made us think that it was barbecue. But when we considered the source of the smoke, it was detrimental. And so some of you are experiencing pleasure tonight. You're like, man, I, I'm sleeping with him. I'm sleeping with her. I'm looking at those things. I'm smoking this. I'm drinking that. I'm chasing this. And, and man, it feels good. But you're not considering the source of your smoke. See, the source of your pleasure, it may not be safe. And you may be enjoying being the king of Westport, keeping up with the Kaufmans. But listen, the party stops. And the people go. And the smoke fades. Uh, this weekend, I had the privilege to celebrate one year of sobriety with my boy Gordon. And Gordon, he, he came to Christ and, and got, yeah, go ahead, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> Praise God. And so he, he's been sober for a year. So we get this, we get, this uh, get together at his house out in OP, where my OP people at, Overland Park, holla. Anyway, we get out to on the Kansas side, all right, and uh, we got some KC Joe's barbecue, okay, and we had them burnt ends, which I ate too much of, but it was good anyway. And so uh, we had KC Joe barbecue. We were celebrating Gordon. I mean, his community group was there. His mom and dad were there. His family was there. His sister even Skyped in or FaceTimed in from Paris, France. I mean, we were celebrating. We were telling him, man, way to go, man, way to go. You're sober, man, because here's what happened. He was chasing some things. He was chasing the party. At one point in his life, he could go to any bar he wanted to in Westport. People knew him. But then when he had an almost tragic, near fatal car crash that God used to wake him up, and he said, you know what, I'm going to leave that life. And a year later, you know who wasn't at the party? All of his old friends. Listen, the party stops. And if you think that chasing those things is somehow going to bring you glory and bring you satisfaction, talk to Gordon. He'll tell you from experience. And he would love to have that conversation with you. Consider the source of 
of your smoke. You may be enjoying sex with him, but under what end? You think that's going to give you marital bliss someday? If you just keep giving yourself to him in any way? You may be enjoying money. You may be traveling. You may be living it up. But, uh, but unto what end? Is it, it, what is the source of your smoke? Ravi Zacharias says this, pleasure without boundaries leads to a life without purpose. Let me run that back. Pleasure without boundaries leads to a life without purpose. Some of y'all want to take the wood chips and, and you just want to be like, you know what, I'm just going to get smoke however I want to. And then you light those things on fire and you're just doing like an Indian smoke dance or something. But listen, it's all going to burn down. And you need to consider the source of your smoke. There is a place that is proper for the source of your, your, the fuel for you to have satisfaction. But you've got to know where that goes. Because pleasure is fleeting. You need to consider the source of your smoke. Russell Brand, y'all know Russell Brand? Maybe y'all seen a movie of his or something. He's, he's got a movie of him, you know, a few years ago, Get Him to Greet. Shouldn't be watching that, but anyway, y'all maybe seen that movie. Here's what he said, and I love this because he just reinforces what the Word of God says. He said, I thought it would be good to be rich and famous. It would be good to have stuff. It would be good to have money and be invited to the party. Well, I've been invited, and I've been in. We're having this chat in this Swiss private men's club in East London. It's super cool. There are bare brick walls, and everyone is double good looking. I've been inside now. I've seen the other side of the looking glass, and it ain't flipping worth it. He doesn't use the word flipping, but you know. It ain't flipping worth it. It ain't flipping worth it. It doesn't feed your soul. I still feel empty inside. So maybe you don't believe Solomon. Maybe you don't even believe this book. Believe the voices of our day. He has nothing to gain by telling you this information. And you have everything to lose if you don't trust it. Pleasure is fleeting. Solomon, he goes on and he says this in verse 12. So I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness. For who can do this better than I, the king? I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. For the wise can see where they're going, but the fools walk in the dark. Like, no one's going to argue this, right? Solomon's like, all right, so I, I hung out with wise people and I hung out with dumb people. And I found out that it's better in life to choose the wise way, all right? And so, like, not, some of y'all are, like, do, trying to do life like this. Like, man, I'm just going to, man, let's just hang out. I'm just going to figure this out. You know, and just in a moment, you're going to run into something, okay? And, and, and there's a way to do things right. It's called wisdom. And wisdom, what Solomon is saying, wisdom is opening your eyes to be able to navigate life properly, some of y'all are driving blind in life right now, and it's just a matter of time before you wreck your life if you haven't already. So um, I bought the, the smoker, and I decided to get a cookbook. Y'all don't judge. I mean, y'all don't judge me. All right, all right. I'm not a master chef, okay. And I decided, like, when it comes to something like this, I shouldn't just try to wing it. You know what I'm saying? And so I'd get somebody sick. I wouldn't, you know. And, Anyway, and so I bought this cookbook, and in this cookbook, you know what there is? There's recipes. And so you open it up, if you've never seen one of these before, and you, you find the page that you want to do, and then you, you follow the instructions of this page, right? And, and, and what they tell you in the recipe book when it comes to smoking meat, they say, hey, the meat internal temperature needs to get to, to this uh, temperature, and if you pull it out too soon, uh, you can eat it, but at your own risk, okay? Like, you can eat undercooked pork, but there's a little thing called trichinosis and ringworm. I mean, 
mean uh, tapeworm, and you don't want to get those two things, all right? No ringworm, but you won't get that from undercooked pork. Anyway, and then they'll tell you, hey, you need to set the temperature on the thermostat at this level because if you, if you set it too high, yeah, it'll get done faster, but it's not going to be as savory as it could be. And so I followed the recipe book, and it's wise for me to do so. I share that with you tonight because don't you know that God has a recipe book for your life? Don't you know that God has put some things in this book for you to read and you to uncover so that you can know how to navigate life with wisdom? There's a way that seems right in your heart, but in the end it leads to death, y'all. And when are we going to learn that God is wiser than we are? He invented sex. Why would we try to do it any other way than what he says to do? He invented pleasure. Why would we try to get pleasure out of its context? He invented relationships. Why wouldn't we try to resolve conflict and and offer forgiveness the way that God says to do? There's a recipe book, but in our generation, don't don't we do this? We qualify truth in our own opinion, right? Like, well, that's your truth, man. That's your truth but I got mine, you know? And so you, got, you do you, I do me, and we just, we just good, tolerance. But if you decided, you know what? I like pork at 120 degrees internally. Okay, go for it. Serve that to your family. They're all gonna get trichinosis, all right? You need to get that mode to like 170 at least. Some of y'all are like, you know what? I don't like waiting this long. I'm just going to crank the heat up to 275, put the pork loin in there. It'll be done in half the time. Yeah, it's going to be pork jerky, <laughs> right? And it's not going to be near as good. And you want to run after things in your life, and you want to do things your own way. But listen, it ain't working. God is saying, trust my recipe. I put some things in place so that you can enjoy life in abundance. So trust my path. Trust my recipe for your sex life. Trust my recipe for your success. Trust my recipe for your fulfillment. And so many of us, we've come in here tonight and we want a microwave version to fulfillment. We don't want the process. We just want to grab the pleasure and then we think we can just run and by the time we get where we're going, that pleasure gone. And there's no shortcuts in life. You want a great weekend, God wants to give you a great life. You want a one-night stand and a great few moments of pleasure. God wants to give you marital success and marital bliss and security in a relationship. You want to chase this or chase that. You want to get all this money. God wants to give you a legacy. You want to experience happiness. God wants to give you fulfillment. Trust his recipe paradigm. Trust his pathway. He knows what he's doing. Solomon, he makes a turn and He says, there is a better way to live, but in the reality, we all die. This is where Solomon gets dark. It's like some Edgar Allan Poe stuff right here. He goes on, he says this, yet I saw that the wise and the foolish, they share the same fate. Both will die. So I said to myself, since I'll end up the same as the fool, what value is all my wisdom? This is all so meaningless. For the wise and the foolish, they both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. Solomon's like, in the end, we all die. Death is the great equalizer. Listen, you can eat, you can eat um, spinach, and you can eat kale and do Pilates and yoga. Shop at Lululemon. You can have it all going on. Or you can eat McDonald's and drink Bud Light, and then you can just, but listen, we're all going to die. You may get like 10 more years than this, brother. But Solomon's like, we're all going to die. Death is the great equalizer. 
We all go down in the end. One of our pastors on staff named Jeff Cox, he says this, that death renders all of our labor, all of our wisdom profitless. It's just all gone. And Solomon, he continues in the same vein, verse 17. So I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth for I must leave it to others that haven't earned it. And who can tell me whether my successors will be wise or foolish? They'll control everything I gain by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So Solomon, he's looking out all over the stuff he's, he's made and acquired. He looks at his kids and he's like, this isn't going to work. Yeah, Rehoboam, you're the best I got. And Solomon's discerning, y'all. I mean, he's wise. He's like, mm, that brother, he's jacked. We need to make him build some fence or something, right? And he's looking out. He's like, man, all that I've worked, it's going to be squandered by Rehoboam. Verse 20. So I gave in to despair, questing the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This, too, is meaningless, a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It's all meaningless. Point number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. Death is a great teacher. Death is a great teacher. So Solomon, he seems kind of depressed, doesn't he? Like you just kind of feel that in this text? I mean, it's pretty obvious. He needs some help, okay? And the reason why he's depressed is because, listen, we all kind of have this sense of depression and the sense of, like, man, something ain't right, especially when we consider death. Like you've ever, if you've ever been around somebody that's dying or somebody that just died, there's just, there's just this sense, whether you believe in God or not, that there's something broke about this. In America, we do so many things to try to preserve life, which are good things, because we don't like to talk about this all too familiar but all too uncomfortable reality that you're going to die. And death is a great teacher because it's death. When we consider death, it gives us perspective on our life. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, a great theologian, I encourage you to pick up any of his writings. You can find them online for free. Uh, he has some resolves, and these are great resolves, but one of his resolves that I want to draw your attention to tonight is this, that he resolved to think much on all occasions of my own dying and of the common circumstances which attend death, that there's this ancient spiritual discipline that you and I, we would consider often our own demise, so, so like we could practice this, practice this right now. So I want you to imagine with me right now that by the end of this service, we got about 10 minutes left. Like that's it, that's all you got. Okay, so you got, got that? So like as soon as you take a step out of the door, out that way, it's like that's your last breath. Now when you consider that that's your last breath, you're gonna start watching Netflix shows. Sorry, she was watching the show, that was a joke. Anyway, I'm picking on her. When you consider that, that this is going to be your final breath, you start really evaluating what matters in life. So if you were to leave tonight and the last breath that you would ever take would be tonight, what would be said of your life? What would be said of the way that you've leveraged your time? What would be said of the way that you've leveraged your finances? What would be said of your boyfriend or your girlfriend? or the way that you've managed the relationships of those who you claim to be most significant in your life? Would you have relationships that are still fractured? Would you have money that you intended to spend on things that really matter but you never did? 
Would you have integrity still intact or would it be so disarrayed that you can't even imagine what people would say at your funeral about you? Consider your demise. Consider your death. Because in the end, when you do that, you'll figure out what really mattered, a party? The house you built, your Instagram account, your swag, your clothes. In the hood, they say it this way, you all catch smoke in the end. You won't catch smoke someday. That means you're going to die someday. And when you and I catch smoke, what will, the, what will the substance of your life be? When you and I die, what will the substance of your life be? What do you need to do with your life? What do you need to change as a result of you considering your death? So Solomon, like he, he is building some tension right here in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, all right? Like it, and he's intentionally catering the message towards this kind of, this like, is there any hope in life? That feeling that you're kind of feeling right now. Like he, he's trying to get all of us there. He's trying to, to help us lean in so that we'll listen up and we'll hear what is perhaps the greatest message of all of Ecclesiastes. And here's what it is in verse 24. So I decided there is nothing better. You can serve that word better. We're going to come back to that in just a second. There's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Uh, so sometimes when you translate um, from an original text like this, it's in the language of Hebrew. When you translate from Hebrew into English, you, you miss some things, right? And that just makes sense. Like if you try to say like, what's up dog in Spanish? Like it's just not gonna translate real well. Like que paso piedra, like it's not gonna work, right? And so it's not gonna work well in that culture. And so like they, there's some things that are written in Hebrew that are difficult to translate into English. And, and most translators, they insert this word better, right? And so this word better is not found in the original manuscript in this verse. And so a really, guy, a really smart guy, Walt Kaiser, he's a, like a Hebrew linguistic specialist, he says this word better is not in there. And I think that Solomon is trying to say something profound to us, so let's look at it again. So I decided there's nothing inside of us, is what he's alluding to, there's nothing to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. This Solomon's trying to say that all is despairing, all is dark, all is meaningless. And listen, there's nothing inside of you or under the sun that's going to bring you ultimate satisfaction. But we don't believe this, do we? Like, like we've come in here and we think, oh, if I just had more of what I already have, then I would have arrived. And we're chasing the smoke that we bought into this lie that if we could have more, then we'll have fulfillment. And a lot of us, we've come in here like you've experienced pleasure, right? Like you, you know what this, this, this idea of pleasure is. But here's the reality. Those of us who have experienced pleasure, they know that once you experience pleasure, it leaves you wanting more pleasure. Isn't that right? Like you get this experience, so you run back after it. Like, man, that tastes good. Where's that barbecue from? You made this, bro? That tastes good. Let me get another bite of that. Man, that looks good. And there's something innate inside of all of us that says, I want more. That felt good. I need more. And it just keeps growing. Listen, there's not a pleasure that will ever satisfy you, but you believe if you get more of that experience, it will bring satisfaction to you. It's a lie. It's all smoke. 
pleasures, they can be good, right? But, but whoever has experienced pleasure said, you know what, I, I'm good. Like, no, our appetites, they always say more. They always say now. They never say later. Like, whoever goes shopping and buys, like, the cutest outfit, you know, you got that Pantone coral color going on. You know, you got it, the perfect outfit and just says, you know what, I don't need another outfit ever again unless you're a minimalist and we, we love you. You know, that's cool. Okay, but, but most of us were like, no, I'm going to buy more things. Like none of us, we never have enough, do we? Like two months later, we want to go out and go shopping some more. And the reality is, is that some of us live under this lie that if I just took, if I just looked at porn one more time, that, that, that would, I would be satisfied, but it's really the opposite. And you know that, right? Like we know this intrinsically, but we keep believing this lie. If I just sleep with my boyfriend one more time, It's the last time, I promise, and that'll be enough. But the opposite is true. You're feeding an appetite of something, and once you feed it, it begins to grow. And you know that things grow, and when you feed them, you know that when you starve them, they begin to diminish. But when you feed them, they grow. When you look at porn, you're filling your mind with negative images. You're objectifying people. But you're feeding something inside of you that says, I want to go after that thing. The bond between you and your boyfriend after y'all just had sex, again, it's growing stronger. It's this idea that you are running after pleasure like on this treadmill and you're never going to capture it. And Solomon is saying that that there's nothing under the sun that's going to bring you satisfaction. And we think more sex, more money, better relationships, more success will give us happiness. But listen, it's, it's not true. It's a chasing of smoke. And so Solomon, he's making us aware of this truth, and then he goes on in verse 25, and and he gives us the solution. And this may seem a little bit arrogant, but hold on with me, and I want to explain. Here's what he says. He says, for who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? He says, who can eat or enjoy anything apart from God? And this may be the biggest point of the whole book. In verse 26, he goes on to explain a little bit more. He says, God gives wisdom. God gives knowledge and joy to those who please him. But if a sinner becomes wealthy, God takes the wealth away from him and gives it to those who please him. This too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Point number three, and finally tonight, if you're taking notes, write this down. Seize the moment. Seize the moment. Listen, if you want to enjoy the smoke in life, if you want to enjoy pleasure in life, It's not about the pleasure in and of itself. It's not about you obtaining that thing, that byproduct. It's about you enjoying the meal and and knowing and understanding the source of the meal and how and where it came from. And so let me explain it this way. Like like smoking meat, it's a process, y'all. It's a labor of love. And if if you don't know this, before you, you know, just buy into this, it's going to be a little bit of a usage of your time, okay? It's going to take a little bit of time for you to smoke some meat. And so you put the meat in there, and then you've got to feed the the fire with wood chips about every half hour. And and it takes this long process. But listen, the whole process is not about the flavor of the smoke at the end of it. For me, the process is a labor of love, and it culminates with this, me pulling the pork shoulder out, pulling the pork 
fork and then getting the sides like a mac and cheese smoked. It's so good. Getting the bread, getting all the things, and then sitting at the table and listening to my Anna Joy, who's two, just cackle and chuckle and make a mess all over and listening to my five and seven-year-old eat the food and say, Daddy, this is good. And then listening to my wife, ask them questions. My wife, she's loyal. She's faithful. She set up a home and sitting there at the table and sitting and resting in this moment. And God is doing something profound in my heart because I'm recognizing that he is the author behind the entire experience. Let, Let me explain it this way. Like God created the cattle, all right? And he put in its chest a brisket, which was thrown out for years. We don't know why. But a few years ago, somebody said, we should put that on the smoker. And they found that this once trash part of the cow is like the most glorious, succulent thing. God thought of that. He grew the pecan trees. He said, if you cut them down and then shred them up and let them dry out, you put that over the flame and it creates this smoke and it permeates the meat. God created the wife. He created the children. He put them there. He gave me this thing called marriage, placed me in that moment, gave me the table, gave me the house. God is the author behind every little pleasure that I'm experiencing in that moment. And the quicker I can realize that he is the author behind it all, the more fully I can enjoy that moment because I enjoy that moment unto him. And some of y'all, when you see this picture, you think, man, I, I hope to have a wife someday. I hope to have a husband someday. I hope to have a family that I can sit around the table and that I I can enjoy laughter and I can enjoy affirmation from my children. I can enjoy the love of my spouse. But you'll never have it. You'll never experience the greatest pleasures in life because of the way you're chasing pleasure in your life. I tell men all the time, man, you're, you're ruining your marriage. Like, what are you talking about? I'm not even, I'm not even dating anybody. Yeah, because you can't get off of porn. You can't stop masturbating. You're ruining your marriage, bro. We, we talk with women all the time, like, hey, you're, you're messing up your relationships. You're ruining your marriage. What, what are you talking about? I don't even have a boyfriend. You can't forgive your dad. You're going to hold that over your husband someday, and you're going to be mad at him for something he never did. And Solomon is saying, the quicker that you realize that nothing under the sun will satisfy you, but that everything good and glorious comes from God. And the quicker you can realize that he is the author of it all, the quicker you'll have fulfillment in life. Solomon is saying, anything you do focused on God will be enjoyed forever with you and God in eternity. It's an investment that has a return. But what you do apart from God will have, nothing in, will have nothing to do with God. And for you and your selfish motives, it's all vanity. It's meaningless and it won't last. It's like smoke and it vanishes quickly. And it's going to be gone a lot sooner than you think. And what you'll, get at, what you'll get at the end of your life is a rock with your name on it that very few people visit. And if you want to do life apart from God... Not only will you get this rock with your name on it called a tombstone that very few will visit, 
but your soul will be forever separated from God. And I pray that that won't be the decision that you make. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I pray that you would help us to consider our way. God, that we would, we would reflect upon the way that we're pursuing pleasure and that we would see that the, whatever in our mind is, if we had all the money and all the time to do whatever we could concoct in our mind, it still wouldn't be enough. God, you placed eternity in our hearts so that we would seek you. Help us not to be like the foolish child that's eating mud pies in the slums when tonight you're offering us a holiday at the sea and we can't even fathom what that means and so we stiff arm your invitation. God, help us not to chase vain trinkets, temporary fleeting pleasures, at the expense of knowing the God who loves us. God, help us. God, help us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.